Transition partners take mental health very seriously. We are now supporting Claro Mental Health Charity, who are local and based in Harrogate. We are working closely with Richard Kenny, who is the IT director at Tech Buyer. Claro operates as a commercial workshop making goods for businesses, which enable those with long-term mental health conditions to function in a voluntary real work environment. We would love it if you can join us in supporting this amazing cause and charity and donate what you can. Any any amount will be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much and thanks to all our listeners. Hi, this is the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. My name's Ellie Greening. And my name's Sandra Patel-Stewart. On this podcast, we will be interviewing some of the UK's greatest tech leaders. We'll be discussing war stories, battle scars, and their learnings from their journeys. Hopefully, you will pick up some great tips, learn from others' experiences, and have a good laugh along the way. Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. So this week we've got Bundle Sene, who is the Executive Director of Transformation at Verdun Media. So Bundle is responsible for overseeing the execution, cross-divisional prioritization and value assurance of all major transformation programs at Virgin Media. Her career has progressed and flourished whilst working for the likes of T-Systems, McKinsey and & Company and Deutsche Bank. She's also got a second career as a children's writer, blogger, speaker, and literary activist. And we cannot wait to hear about how you amalgamate the two careers and um, your success story today to got, got you to where you are. So hello, Bundle. How are you? Fantastic. It is very hot today. But besides that, I am alive and well. Very hot in London. <laughs> Fantastic. And I'm Sandra, Sandra Patel-Stewart. Nice to meet you. It's great to have you on the show um, and um, Ellie's been telling me all about you this morning so I'm really excited to hear more about your story. Um, so I usually start um, start off with um, a question around finding out a bit more about you, telling out, I guess, setting the, the scene with the listeners and the viewers. Um, so if you could um, tell us all about where, where your career started, how it all started um, and obviously you've got a number of second careers as well. So really <laughs> to hear all about that. And um, if you could just tell us more how it, how it all began and then just talk us through that journey of how you got to, to where you are today. I think the big theme and recurring theme in my career has been a set of mentors, coaches and sponsors who really helped me get to everywhere I am, because even if I think the very beginning of my career was in publishing um, and I was very uh, excited to, to join publishing, but really thought it was going to be a thing that was not for me because I desired to be able to, you know, feed my family and put a roof over my head and those sort of fun things. Um, and so I went to uni and studied uh, accounting actually, and thought right. that that was <laughs> the thing I was going to do with my life. But I thought, you know what, while I'm at uni, I still have this opportunity. There's this golden window where I can still live my publishing dreams and my publishing ambition. So let me like send out my CV, you know, and find uh, every single independent publisher, every single trade publisher in Cape Town, which is where I went to university, um, and figure out like who will take me on. And every single one of them ignored me, except for one. 
And the one was a tiny, tiny feminist publishing house called Majaji Books, which uh, had exactly one employee who was the owner and head publisher. <laughs> and she said, yeah, come on in. You can be an intern. That's fine. I will pay you a very small, embarrassing amount, which we'll never talk about again. But at least you'll get a foot in the door. And that was, you know, my very first sponsor, right? Someone who took a chance on me, even though I was someone off the street. And that experience led to many more opportunities in publishing, led to me realizing actually, yes, I will not make any money if I carry on with this publishing thing, led to mm -hmm. me um, deciding to go into IT, not particularly because I was so passionate about digital technology, just because I was good at writing things. There was a communication job. Let's go do that. Um, and as it turned out, I actually fell in love with digital, fell in love with technology and fell in love in particular of the idea of being able to connect the, the techie jargon and the people who were in the basement at the time, this was quite a while ago, um, versus the people who are making decisions, having conversations with customers, etc. Um, I love the idea of being able to find a way to have them meet each other. And then that kind of evolved also into trying to think about better ways for that communication and collaboration to work, which led me to really love agile and agile ways of working. I took on a role as a CEO of an NGO that the whole purpose of it was bridging the digital divide for indigenous language children's literature. So that was a way again to bring back my publishing background, to bring back my love of writing to bring in also tech and my interest in tech but it also evolved me on the agile journey as well so that by the time I got to McKinsey I was really passionate about um, technology tech transformation using it to have wide-scale um, reach and impact uh, and that really set the tone I guess for even my role at Deutsche Bank and my role today at Virgin Media and every one of those changes and transitions was made possible by having the right people in my corner I think the challenges we often think your work will speak for itself as women and we mm -hmm. often think uh, if I do a good job someone will notice and it will mm -hmm. be fine and we also think that this idea of people kind of helping you up is somehow distasteful to ask for that help or to actively go out for those 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 topics and and um, to put yourself forward for things that you know nothing about but you know you'll fake it until you make it basically um and i was lucky that i didn't really have any of those those um feelings of hum fake humility right i was actually very much like look i'm entirely sure that there are men who are doing this with much more abandon freedom happiness in their hearts than i am so why should i not also have the same kind of support to get the things that i want yeah yeah fantastic impressive <laughs> um so it sounds like you're um, obviously you're very passionate and um, very driven, enthusiastic, and you've you've progressed um, very quickly from one company to, to another. I think what would be really good, and, and one of the reasons why um, we run this podcast is so that other people that want to follow in your footsteps and have those aspirations um, to follow in your footsteps can learn. And um, so you just obviously touched on. And how you progressed and, and, and for you, there was a lot of people that you had that, that helped you through those um, progressions. Is there anything that you can share like a bit more detail um, into like, I guess, going into the depth of how you did progress from one role to another? Um, you know, what did you have to do? Did, did you feel like there was anything that you personally had to push and drive to be seen and heard more? And how did you do it? Um, any kind I mean, of tips and experiences that others could learn from? Yeah, I think to be clear, right? While you have sponsors and mentors, it's your responsibility to find them and your responsibility to keep them. 
especially in the, the case of sponsors, right? I think there's a lot of research that suggests that women and men progress faster in organizations through having sponsors. And a sponsor is basically someone who will put their name and reputation on the line for you. But to get that sponsor, there's a couple of things that you need to do yourself. One is be clear on what you actually want that sponsor for. So having a really clear plan and outcome of what you're trying to get to, I don't have a five-year plan, but I certainly know where I want to be in at 12 months, right? That is a manageable time frame in my mind. So thinking about in the next 12 months, what do I want to achieve? But then also thinking about what it is that you're going to need to get to there. So what are your enablers and what are your blockers, right? If you are uh, trying to think about making a career path, what are the things that are going to block you from doing that, right? Is it concerns about the future, being risk averse, concerns about money, financial responsibilities, all kinds of things, right? You need someone who you can then have a conversation with about that. So mentors are very good for being able to say, like, here's the things that I did in this particular situation. Here's what you could do. I also had a series of coaches who it's not so much about getting their advice. A coach is much more around you. They ask you questions that you answer your own question basically it's like oh what great advice I gave myself but sometimes (laughs) especially when you don't have full clarity on the 10-year roadmap it's really good to have someone who'll ask a couple of powerful and pointed questions to get you to really think a little one level deeper about even that 12-month roadmap right and then the sponsors the people that you can go to to say you know I would really like this opportunity it fits in with my roadmap of 12 months etc but you have to go with the opportunity yourself right which means keeping your linked up LinkedIn up to date joining professional networks going to meetups I hate meetups I hate networking I'm very but the reason that I found that I could go to these things was I said, well, if I have a purpose to be there, if I have a content thing or a topic or whatever, if I'm speaking at the meetup, then I absolutely want to go. And that's something I can trick my brain into doing without being awkward. I can't just go there to hang out. Like That's not my personality. So you, you also kind of need to figure out ways that will work for you as an individual. But I found that I could go and speak at things. I could go and partner with other people to speak at things. And speaking at things, I could have a conversation about my presentation or about other people's presentation. And then that was something that got me into being able to have those networking conversations and always in the back of my mind thinking about could I be this person's mentor could they be my mentor could I be this person's sponsor could they be my sponsor so again being very outcome focused and very outcome driven I'm an incredibly strategic person when it comes to my career and I think not everybody is like that and that's also cool you've got to figure out your own again it's about your own style or whatever but I certainly didn't always get positive feedback about how strategic I was some people thought just go with the flow it'll be fine why are you so (laughs) tight about these things and you must have your sponsors but it worked out for me because Again, you have to have that plan of where you're trying to go to. You have to understand your enablers and blockers to getting there. You have to have an action plan and then people who can support you in that action plan. That would be my practical tips. It's about, um, and obviously clearly you haven't, it's about also asking and asking the questions and putting yourself out there. Um, Because like you said, I think you said right at the start, it isn't going to just be given to you or be like, you know, you have to push and drive and, um, you know, be asking questions like, well, what can I do? What do I need to do to get to there? Um, yeah. And I think it's also the clarity of understanding the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Because yeah. a lot of the people that come to me for 
mentoring or sponsorship, et cetera, they come to me and go, help me get there. I go, okay, well, what, what, what do you need to do? What are your development goals? Like, <laughs> what are you bad at? What do you hate doing? Tell me these things and I can actually help you. But the level of self-awareness to be able to say, you know, maybe I actually don't have all the skills that I need right now to go and have Bill Gates as my mentor. Maybe I need to build mm-hmm. a little bit more credibility. Maybe I need to do some more groundwork, some more homework, right? Before I can get to that point, just that understanding of the gap. That's yeah. what's important. Yeah, fantastic. Brilliant. Um, so tell us more, um, or t- let's, um, let's talk about your leadership style. Um, you know, let's go into a bit more detail about how you um, feel is, you know, what's made you a successful leader, leader um, how your teams would describe you as well. <laughs> um, how my teams would describe me. Let's not talk about that. Um, <laughs> The way that I varied across the years, we all learn, don't we? We all live and learn and learn our lessons. Well, yeah, that's true. There were some times which I was really a terrible leader, right? I am introverted. I'm not really an extroverted personality. I'm competent in social interactions, but you know, being an introvert meant that I was very drained by having to spend large portions of time telling people what to do and trying to manage in the traditional sense. So I abandoned that way of management because it didn't work for me. What I found was I wanted to be a collaborative leader. And I yes. didn't want to be a collaborative leader in the sense that I will tell you something and then we'll work on it together. But really, you're just showing me some work that you did and I'm saying yes or no. I wanted to actually get into the work. I wanted to make the PowerPoint pages. I wanted to look at the Excel folder. I, you know, I really wanted to get into it um, at a much deeper level and be a member of the team not just Mm -hmm. a manager of the team. And when I'm playing that manager role, have that be something I was doing only in the capacity and the idea of servant leadership. So how am I creating opportunities for the team? How am I resolving blockers for the team? How am I serving the team rather than them serving me and serving the things I want? Um, That was very important to me as a leader. I think also being a coach leader is very important to me. Mm -hmm. So being able to get people to think through things themselves and challenge them and empower them to take ownership for those outcomes, those deliverables for answering those questions, because that's the way that they get better at their job. That's the way that they get closer to getting my job so that I can go do something else is if they start to think in a different way. And also just in many organizations, you don't have the right to really think about things. You have the right to think about it, but then ask your boss and do what they say. Right. Uh And the risk threshold is also very low. So if you make a mistake, it's a huge deal. And suddenly it's this thing where you're going to be up at night in the middle of the night, three weeks later, thinking about this terrible thing that you did that cost money and time and all of these things. And so that concept of psychological safety and the safety to make mistakes and the safety to make mistakes for me too, where I can say, by the way, I was wrong in that particular instance, right? We should have gone with your approach or we should have gone with your approach or we should have done this in a more collaborative way. Let's pivot. Let's do something else to create that on the team for me coupled with a non-hierarchical nature, coupled with collaboration, coupled with everybody gets their hands dirty, has really worked for me. And I think Virgin Media has also been an interesting environment for me because my boss at the moment, Philip Poland, he makes his own PowerPoint pages. He gets into the work. He wants to... He is the chief people and transformation officer, my direct, you know, my direct boss. And uh, he gets stuck into the work and we're having conversations. He'll do anything and everything. He'll do anything. He's he's in it, right? Exactly the same as I am. So it's been a really great experience having that from a manager for one of the first times. uh, And then also having that for all my direct reports. We've created a really interesting feedback loop where Mm -hmm. we are creating something quite special for that transformation office. 
So fantastic. And that leads me perfectly onto my piece, really, because I'd love to know more. I know you were saying about that safe space, being able to make mistakes, learn from it and move forward. I'm sure over your career, there's been a few hiccups over the way that have kept you up at night and things that leading the transformation on the scale that you have is inevitable, isn't it? So I'd love to hear like one specific story that still makes you like, puts the hair stand up on your on its ends and makes you think, oh God, when that happened, but what you learned from it. So one story where something quite quite dramatic happened in, in your career, but obviously you learned a lot from it. Okay, buckle up. <laughs> um, <laughs> during my time at McKinsey, I once worked on a transformation program in a hospital in Johannesburg, a quite big hospital. And I worked specifically in the operating theater and the surgical department, right? And trying to do some digital transformation there. Now it's a public hospital. It's massive. There are thousands of people that go through it every day. Uh, It's very poorly resources and and funded, just given the problems of public health care in South Africa. And um, I was, I sat right in the office of a matron, basically sitting next to the matron of the whole ward and uh, on my little laptop and trying to make things to semi-automate, I don't know, utilization schedules or dashboards or whatever I was doing. I can't even remember. It was years ago. But the point was, um, I just thought this is useless, right? Why are we doing this project? Why am I here doing this? And at some point during the program, um, there was a shortage of linens. Now, I guess people understand linens a bit better than they did um, now than they did before, but it's basically PPEs, right? Like the stuff that you wear and the gloves on your shoes and the hat thing you wear and the the face mask and they had a shortage for a number of reasons and so I decided that the best use of my time was going to be completely to go off the track of the project and independently (laughs) fix this thing because I was like this is the most important thing I'm going to do it by myself and um, I made all sorts of calls did all sorts of things um, to the point where it was like okay we're going to develop our own independent supply chain we're going to get a uh, set of washing machines in the basement so you can clean the linen yourself so you don't have to send it off to the central laundry we're going to fast track all of this and do you know all of these things long list of activities and at the end my manager was like who did you involve in this from the team nobody so I was working 18 hours a day, 19 hours a day, wow. trying to do all of this stuff myself. I almost had a breakdown. Um, and then about a week after I'd resolved these challenges, it happened again because I didn't resolve anything. All I did was run off because my own ego told me that I knew best and I knew how I was going to do this. And this was a waste of our time and a waste of, you know, it was a pro bono study. So a waste of, you know, McKinsey pro bono thing. We should go and fix these things. But I didn't understand the systematic challenges that were underneath those. And the fact that I could fix these service level things and feel really good about myself and, oh, I'm helping the hospital. But actually, I didn't involve anyone really in the hospital leadership. I didn't involve the people involved. I came up with a solution for them. I implemented it through escalations and trying to push things through. I did everything wrong, right? For the right reasons, but the whole thing was wrong. And at the end of it, it was really awkward because the matron, I remember so clearly, um, they'd done an extreme makeover, a different team had done an extreme makeover in the pharmacy where they like mm-hmm. completely leaned it out. It was so beautiful. We spent a Saturday, we cleaned it all. It was fantastic. And at the end, I was like, oh, you know, how do you feel it went? How do you think I did? And she was like, I would have preferred an extreme makeover. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh, because, God. Right? That was lasting change. And it really did teach me about thinking of the sustainability of what you're doing, that yeah. you go faster when you go together, not alone. 
that even if you think you have the greatest ideas and the best approach and whatever, by the way, some other people probably have thought about this before. So maybe ask them about it and ask them why it didn't work when they try to do it. Mm-hmm. So that just because you think you are best placed at all times to solve every problem does not mean you are best placed to solve all problems at all times. And working 18 hour days, probably an indication that you should tell someone what you're doing. Because by the way, I did all of this in secret away from my team. Right. And I was like, my manager will stop me. And of course he would have stopped me. It was madness. Right. But definitely a lesson I learned about collaboration, about long-term sustainability of what you're doing, about not letting your own ego and your own, even for the right reasons, overtake sense, reason and playing something through and doing the long-term hard work for it. Such a perfect example. Yeah. It's a brilliant example. Good lesson to learn. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? But it's something like that. It's something so personable and so personal and something that you're so passionate about, it lays heavier on your heart. So that's like more exhausting as well. And again, this is something that we'd love to know more about is is what are you really passionate about and what gets you excited? Obviously, I've noticed that you've got connections with Girls Code. You're also on the board at St Mungo. So you've got some great involvement. And I'd love to know more about that. What gets you excited? Um, So I absolutely love being able to volunteer my time where my technical capabilities get to benefit something that's for social good. So having worked in the NGO sector, I also realized that was not for me because to be honest, I would stay up all night, days on end, just crazy, crazy life things, trying to solve these problems, not realizing that I'm not making much of a dent in them by burning myself out. So I realize that I'm never going to work full time in the NGO sector again. It's not good for me personally. But what I can do is volunteer time and energy to causes that I care very much about. Homelessness is absolutely one. And I think St. Mungo's is an amazing organization, especially because um, being in an NGO and a small one, you learn the value of like real corporate competencies like governance like (laughs) processes and financial management and it's really boring stuff but at least for me but um, I love being involved in NGOs that have gotten those basics right because it means they can then move on to innovation and digital transformation and all of these things that St. Mungo's is now looking forward to doing, right? Um, similarly with Girl Code, like I, I love that they're an organization that's passionate about um, advancing the, the agenda for women, essentially, and women being involved in tech, um, not even in big tech, just learning how to code and starting your own business, um, learning what agile means and using that in your job, right? But that for me, uh, because I am a unashamed and very happy feminist, uh, I started my creative feminist publishing house. I have always been a feminist from when I was a child, basically. (laughs) I'm very passionate about being able to advance uh, gender equality and being able to advance the position of women, um, the respect of women, giving opportunities to women. And so another one of my passions, of course, is around coaching and mentoring. Um, I tend not to mentor men at all which is a conscious decision that I've made, which is a very controversial decision, uh, Mm -hmm. which many people have challenged me on. But I I do genuinely believe that it is much more difficult for women to find mentors in the world of work, um, especially in super corporate environments. When I worked in banking, even more so, I'm a woman of color as well. So there has to be an intersectionality that kind of goes into that. Um, And so, you know, I'm always going to prioritize um, people of color, women, uh, the queer community in order to be able to give my time to those, those kind of causes. So I love those things. And at the core of it all, I'm really passionate about tech. 
I'm really passionate about um, also being able to infuse a social science and a human element tech. Because I think where we've gone wrong with so much big technology is we've assumed many things about human psychology, about sociology, about politics that are not true in the real world. And we need to be able to inject a sense of realism, a sense of the real political, socioeconomic (laughs) challenges in the world. And it requires more people that understand people to get involved in tech, to be interested in tech, for more people of color, more queer people, more women to get involved in tech and be part of those conversations so that we have more equitable and more ethical technical solutions. Fantastic, brilliant. Um, So that probably brings me quite nicely onto, um, obviously you're involved in um, Girls Code and and St Mungo's, helping the homelessness, et cetera. Within those kind of areas and also tech, what and who do you in, are you inspired by? Oh, what a terrible question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am inspired most by young women doing things with zero budget, trying to hustle. And I think mm-hmm. Girl Code is very much an organization started off by just some young women who went, no one's given us permission to do this, right? But let's just try something let's just try and see how it goes um and i'm really inspired by zandila who is um one of the the founders of of girl code is exactly one of those personalities who just wants to try it out she had a full-time job but she decided to start this organization and now it's growing to the point years later where she's able to kind of quit her day job and do this full-time and really focus on growing it and that's that is the stuff that i admire most is just young women in particular doing things with zero institutional backing or support um, and just trying to create the right networks and relationships to make it work. Fantastic. Um, and what, um, in, what involvement do you have in um, like tech communities, conferences? I know you said before that um, networking events and meetups and, and that sort of thing, not really your thing, but Unless um, I'm speaking at them. Unless, yeah, and I think <laughs> I, I think um, I think you've probably um, spoken at some in the past. It'd be good to um, let our listeners know and, and viewers, and you know, if there are any recommendations for meetups, conferences, etc., that you've been either been involved in, you spoke at, or have attended, um, that will be worth um, watching out for and, and following. Yeah, I mean, I I tend to do um one or two conferences every one or two months so there's a lot but yeah so i end up doing a kind of a lot of it only sin. <laughs> i don't sleep i'm a vampire you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um at least long days do you even sleep <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to sleep more now it's it's a it's a development goal that i have around trying to that's one of my development goals is working less um my development goals to sleep less (laughs) (laughs) i love sleep i'm like yes i too love sleep i just don't do very much of it but um i I speed a lot of conferences i think the the thing that i i've really enjoyed things like fincode which i did last year which was really cool um i did unicom's agile test devops thing a month ago or so which was really which was really fun I did London Tech Leaders also a little bit ago which was also quite quite fun I enjoyed that um, is that the one you did with David who came yes. on 
it was really fun i really enjoyed learning tech leaders um and so yeah i, I try to do i quite enjoy doing panels um because you also kind of get to get different people's perspectives yeah yeah um, I, but I like, like panels. it was panels interesting the unicom thing for me was it was a different one also because now of course everything is remote so having these kind of remote sessions the part that i most enjoy about my my talks is usually kind of getting questions from the audience and changing what I'm saying to match the audience's reaction and, and those mm. kind of things. You don't really get that same level when you're doing it remotely. Um, mm. But I loved that Unicom kind of worked out a really great way to get questions in and was using other apps and things and voting up and voting down. Like Slido is a really good example of an app that helps mm. to do that. So I, I'm really enjoying doing conferences with conferences that are getting good at remote conferences at the moment. Uh, and I think anything, as long as you are in a community and, and learning about topics that you're really interested in, because the, the, even the tech conferences I do are very different, right? Like London Tech Leaders is more about leadership and more about yeah. the big topics and the trends and whatever, where there's, you know, if, like something that's on DevOps and testing and is much yeah. more technical and it's a much more technical crowd. So it's also interesting thinking about changing what you're saying, depending on the audience that you're in. Um, yeah, basically. And it's a lot nice because you do the community-led stuff as well. So there's just so many different angles to the stuff you're involved in, which was when you were saying about the DevOps piece, I was thinking, oh, that's, yeah, you've got something really technical now, the leadership, you've kind of involving all of it, which is, which is really fantastic. Amazing. You're involved in so many different aspects. <laughs> I don't know how you are. I think the, the one thing that really set me free was mm. I, I used to think that you could only do one thing. Because we kind of raised, I don't know how, like society kind of makes us go like, you're going to have a career and you're going to do that mm -hmm. thing. And you're going to have a family and you're going to do that thing. But those are your two things. So do those things. And I was really set free, I think, by um, the moment I woke up to the reality that like I didn't have to do that. I could do whatever time and energy allowed me to do, right? Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to also be a writer, I could do that. If I wanted to continue to be a publisher, and I am still a minority, now I'm a minority owner of Majaji Books, right? So mm -hmm. I can still do that. If I wanted to work with NGOs, I could do that. If I wanted to write books, I could do that. As long as I could find time and energy for that helps. But I think there's also something I learned about my own privilege, because let's be honest, it's privilege that allows me to do those things. It was in the past, how I wrote books was the privilege of being a top tier consultant at the world's biggest and most prestigious consulting firm, which meant I was earning a salary that allowed me to pay for someone to clean my home. I was earning a salary that allowed me to get my groceries delivered to my house and nutritious meals, etc. I was married at the time and had a really supportive husband who cooked all my meals and did my, my, um, took my car for a service if it needed for a service. Da, da, da. I worked at a company that, that valued my intellectual experience and my expertise much more than the hours I was putting in. So it helped me to be a bit more flexible about when I worked and how I worked. And all of that is privilege. So every time I hear someone say, well, it's prioritization and I just prioritize really well. I'm like, yeah, but let's be honest. I have quite a lot of privilege by virtue of the career that I've chosen, that I chose to work in tech, that I do yeah. have the expertise and experience I have. And I don't take that for granted. It is privilege that has allowed me to have so many different careers. It's fantastic. What? What do you do for you time then? What do you do to switch off and, and relax? And I quite enjoy watching Queer Eye. 
on Netflix. Me too. Um, drag Race was also very popular. I didn't like oh, the really? of Drag Race. There were too many predators. It was really weird. I couldn't quite concentrate on what was going on. Um, I do read a lot of audiobooks these days because I find audiobooks are much easier for me to actually read than like. Yeah, I find audiobooks definitely easier. And there is no difference between them. So no judgment for anyone who <laughs> books, audiobooks, whatever kind of books. So I do that. And I don't read high literature anymore. I used to be very literary, very serious, really interested in the classics. I don't care about that anymore. Um, I read whatever. Uh, I don't really like romance and, and thrillers, but I love reading books for teens. I love writing books for teens. And I no longer okay. feel... There were people who told me those aren't real books. And, oh, it's not really that hard to write anyway, whatever. Um, but for me, I think that there should be complete equality in what you're reading. As long as you are reading from a diverse set of voices and again, mm. my reading tendencies and habits very much match the rest of my ethical belief system, whatever. So I read 99% women, um, queer and people of color. Like that's, that's my vibe. Uh, and I find that that's very uh, exciting. And then, you know, I have a lot of friends. I've been lucky that I've spend so much of my life traveling and being in different countries and different locations. So my friends are spread across like four different continents, which, uh, you know, it's lockdown is interesting because there's more time to catch up because you can be like, let's schedule some time in between all my other video conferences. Um, (laughs) I do, I do try to spend quite a lot of time with my friends when possible. And I have four godchildren now, two that are in Cape Town, one that's in Johannesburg, one that's in Dubai. So one day I'll be able to visit them as well. Uh, Yeah. Fantastic. Amazing. It's so lovely. And I think like what you were saying, like books for teenagers is so important because a lot of, a lot of the um, books that you write, is it nine to 18 year olds? Is that... Yeah. It's such an important age mm. range and there's so many hidden messages that you can kind of put within the literature. It's so important to, to children of that age. It's, it's really, really interesting. I think the only hidden message that I'm really most interested in is, um, is about girls and the power of girls. And I also love to write different kinds of girls because I used to have a very performative feminism when I was younger. It was a sort of feminism that says, if you want to be a mom and your dream is to like paint your nails and go shopping, that's not really what you should be doing as a woman. Like that's not furthering the feminist agenda. So what you need to do is actually get a career and do some things and whatever. And then I realized how performative and crap that was and how that was very much driven by the patriarchy. And I went, nah, I'm going to write some girls who are completely vapid and superficial and only care about makeup and impressing boys who have real intelligence, real depth, real interests, real power, still are heroes in the story, still are warriors is and to show that you can be an unlikable unhelpful not friendly ugly girl and be a hero you can be a beautiful everyone's your friend you're basically a celebrity in your local community and be a hero you can be a completely shy bookworm ultra religious actual ghost if i'm thinking of one particular character that i have (laughs) you literally can have it all yeah exactly you can have it you can be whatever kind of girl you want to be and that is the one message that i that i'm interested in in any of my stories and books and still be awesome so that's really cool i um yeah i'd love to finish the the podcast by finding out the, we started off by you talking about your plans. I guess you don't do five years, you do 12 months. But I'd love to know what the next 12 months looks like to you and what you're really excited about. Um, 
moving in with my boyfriend and by getting a house and getting a dog and having a garden. Exciting. Very exciting. Um, Cause I miss having dogs and I, I, I find it very helpful to have like a reason to go out and have a walk. So that that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, getting back into fitness after lockdown. I started my first session with my trainer this morning in the park. It was very exciting. And it's interesting, right? Because the things that I'm most concerned about and interested in right now were very much personal things. Um, I'm writing mm-hmm. a new book, but it's for adults. And it's the first adult book that I've written in a very long time. I have lots of rejections for adult books, but no publications. So let's see if this one is different. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very excited also, of course, what's happening in my day job, Virgin Media and O2, and a potential merger, which would be an incredible thing. I'm very involved in the merger process and the, the merger. I lead the merger planning team. So uh, it's going to be an interesting time for, I think, all of UK society um, if this merger happens to go through. It will be a very interesting 12 months in my life because I love building new things. I love being part of new teams. I love the idea of also getting to build radically different, empowering, inspiring teams for people. So getting to do that at the level of a company, that sounds like a really fun thing to do for the next 12 months. And I think it's also very rare for me to work at a place where I really genuinely love this company and genuinely feel excited about its vision for the future, which is digital, which is agile, which is kind of data first. And, and that, that for me is, is really uh, energizing and really exciting fantastic sounds like you've got so much exciting stuff to to come um i'm very jealous (laughs) i loved having you yeah absolutely loved having you on the podcast today your story has been super inspiring and i think you're the most self-aware leader that we've had on here so it's been it's been brilliant hearing um your perspective your story and i'm confident it's going to help inspire our listeners Mm. and I'd love to know what's the best, best way for people to get in touch. Twitter or LinkedIn? Um, LinkedIn is a good one. So you can find me once I send it, LinkedIn. Um, I have a website. So if you want to look at some stuff, if you want to see more about my books or about. Yeah, we'll put the link for the website yes. on, on the post actually. Indeed. Yeah. So you, can, you can go to my website and have a look. You can contact me via my website as well. Um, that does come to me directly. I have an Instagram, but. I don't understand Instagram, so that's not going to help. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Twitter, LinkedIn, website, probably your easiest bets. Awesome. Fantastic. It's been so great to have you on the show. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Thank you. <laughs>